Hey guys, it's Thomas Boer here. Um, I felt compelled to really kind of remind you guys of some verses in Scripture which is taken uh, and applied to the heading of this little audio recording here. Um, just really in light of all that we're seeing in the world today. Um, it's heartbreaking, it's frightening, it's scary. Um, there's many words to describe what's going on, and not just abroad, but here in the United States as well. Um, it, it certainly affects me. Um, I, I'm kind of the kind of person that usually kind of tosses and turns at night anyways and worries about things <clears throat> probably oftentimes in an unrighteous way and I need to put more faith and trust in God for many things. Um, but when we look at what we have uh, today in our nation in the state of moral and spiritual decline uh, when many of our own churches, reformed churches even, um, are at war with one another, even uh, racially and politically, and we show how little we are united and how little we have really um, understood or agreed upon what God's Word teaches, and we see that tension and that problem just magnified, of course, in the unbelieving world with the sin and the sort of just godless, liberal, man-centered agenda of let me do what I want, how I want, um, because I want to be my own God, and I don't want anybody to tell me what to do, and if you try to try to tell me what to do, I'm going to make sure you are silenced. All of that tyranny of the individual autonomy of man that is rampant in our nation and the unsettledness in our nation and in the other nations that we're seeing right now is proof positive of the depravity of man, the radical depravity and sinfulness of man. And what hope do we have to see this world change? What hope do we have for well, our own lives, but the lives of our children. Uh, man, I mean, I think about my three young children, all of them under three years of age, and I think, you know, what what world are they going to grow up in? I mean, I, when I was a kid, you know, just <laughs> 15, 20 years ago, what we have today, I could not have imagined just, 15, 20 years ago. I couldn't have imagined what we have today 10 years ago. It's it's different. Um, but ultimately, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not ultimately in man-made institutions. Our hope is not in even other people, not even necessarily ultimately in fellow Christians, fellow pastors and ministers and churches. No, ultimately our hope 
is in Christ and in Christ alone and through him we have unshakable hope and sure victory and so some scripture that I wanted to share is from Romans 8 and I'll just begin um, in verse 12 and go through pretty much the end of the chapter and it reminds us of our hope and of the future glory that we have because we are redeemed through the blood of Christ. So beginning in verse 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And just to pause there, this suffering that we face, little even still that it is for many of us, is simply walking in our Savior's footsteps. It It is to be expected. It is to be something that we know will continue in this world until Christ returns. And indeed, that's the beauty and the power of the gospel, is that our only hope is in Christ. All other ground is sinking sand, but in Christ we have a firm foundation. We have resurrection life. We have life beyond and through the grave. We have resurrection life now before we have even died. And so, death, where is your sting? We already enjoy, through Christ, the resurrection life. We already have and are enjoying eternal life united to Christ. And that doesn't mean that things aren't scary now. It doesn't mean that death is painless or that persecution is a light thing no but it does mean that ultimately is a thing that will not be able to choke us out it is a thing that can only grip us for a moment but then we pass through it and that's the good news of the gospel that my sin does not damn me anymore. And the sins of others in this world cannot ultimately rob me of a sure hope of future glory and peace and joy. It may rob me of much of that momentarily, but it cannot utterly take it away because I know that 
this life now is your worst life. And the good life is to come. And it'll be forever. And it'll be perfect. And there'll be no more fear of sin because it has been dealt with and banished forever. And as Christians, we have the grace of God in our hearts. And and I have felt the grace of conviction of my own sins. And I see how little I know of God's word and how little I love his word and love his people and my own family and wife and children and, and how far I fall short. And it is convicting and how helpless I feel to handle the way things are in the world and the political situation in our nation. But I remember Christ is king of the nations. Christ will come on a white horse to judge the nations, to judge ISIS, to judge all evil. And in fact, it's already been judged through the cross. And so we live in the overlap of the ages, which is a glorious time to live. It's certainly better than any time that's preceded because we have Christ. We have resurrection life. We have salvation. But man, I can't wait for the age to come. I cannot wait for the return of our Lord and Savior. I cannot wait for the time when the, the wolf and the lamb lie down together and a little child leads them and they shall do no harm on all my holy mountain and righteousness and peace reigns. I cannot wait for that. And yet I know that we do wait for that because Christ's work is not finished yet. His glory and all that he has done has not come to all of its fullness yet and so we must press on we must persevere we must go to work and labor and suffer and stand as salt and light into this lost and dying world for the glory of God for our eternal satisfaction in our laboring for the kingdom of God to make it more manifest even in this darkness to pray that God would bless our labors to redeem and impact and influence society as much as po- as possible to see the gospel go forth to slay sinners by the sword of the spirit to bring them into God's kingdom through his covenant blood so that we may speak truth and rally and organize and grow and fill the earth and subdue it by reclaiming it through the power of the gospel and righteous living and sound wisdom being applied into every sphere of life and praying, praying, praying that God would bless our labors knowing that if he does not they will all simply go unheeded 
But we know the promises of God, that his word will go forth, that it will not return void, that there will be believers in every tribe and tongue and nation. The kingdom of God goes from a small seed to a great mustard tree. His kingdom cannot fail. It will prevail. It will grow. So we must have faith in God. We have the Spirit that is our guarantee of our inheritance. Well, let me continue reading here in Romans 8, verse 18 and following. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's you and me, if you are in Christ. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And that's the the difficult thing, living in between the times after Christ's first coming, but not yet at the consummation, at the return of Christ, where in one sense we're already adopted as God's children, and yet we still eagerly await to be adopted. We await for the redemption of our bodies, the earth, the creation, awaits for its redemption as well. And we have sips and tastes as we partake in the resurrected life even now through the Spirit, and yet we see around us what it's like not to have resurrection life, what it's like for those who are in the darkness, who are dead in their sins, who love the darkness rather than the light. And the seed of the serpent is wicked. But our job is not to retreat from it. From it. Our job is not to yield to its evil and give in and compromise. And, and friends, as hard as it is and as scary as it is, we're to shine light into dark places. We're supposed to go into the dark and if we have to whistle to calm our nerves, we do it, but we must go into it and shine the light to expose, well, whatever may be out there in the dark and pray that God would conquer it and turn darkness into light. And so we need to be active, but we especially need to be prayerful during these times for the world and to teach our families and one another to encourage one another and that we are children of the light 
and that the light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot and will not overcome it. And though it seems to the naked eye to those who do not have Christ that God is not here, that God has abandoned us, that God has given this world over to darkness and left men, fallen men, to fend for themselves and to try to eke out a seemingly futile and meaningless existence, we know that's not the case. We know that the king is on the throne, ruling the nations from heaven above, and that all things work together for good, as we'll read here, and that nothing escapes his perfect plan. Uh, to continue, verse 26, Likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit will guide us and lead us as we seek to understand what to pray for and how to pray and what to do. We have the Spirit of truth. We have the spirit of holiness in us. And if we're being led by it, we're children of God. And as we seek to be more and more in step with the spirit and led by it, we will drive a righteous course. And I see a lot of even internal bickering and turmoil even in reformed churches the likes of which in my naivety I thought just a few short years ago was unthinkable well there's still a true church there's still those who are filled with the spirit there's there's it's not our greatness <laughs> it's God's greatness if there's any greatness in this world working through his people and he'll see us through our own internal strifes as well. Even though it may be painful and ugly and expose a lot of sin. Continuing verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. Remember, we are called to a purpose. And right now this purpose looks like, looks like it's to face some hard things. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What God has begun, he will finish. That's our confidence. What shall we then say to these great things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has saved us, if God has befriended us, has covenanted with us, has redeemed us through his own son's blood, what do we have to fear when we know that 
He abounds in mercy to a thousand generations, that he covenants with families when we have confidence that as we are faithful to him, he will mercifully bring our children to faith in his son when we marry in the Lord. Man, what gospel comfort there is there. That even though nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, also nothing can separate us from the love of those who are with us in Christ, the fellow believers, that ultimately we will be together forever. Even this side of heaven, we may be separated for a time as we pass through the veil and the glory at our temporal deaths. That's only a momentary parting. Verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who is indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And that's an Old Testament quote. The people of Israel were not the first ones to suffer. No, verse 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh, what a profound mystery that to be slaughtered is to be a conqueror through Christ, the one who conquered through being slaughtered. And it's not to say that we don't pray that we aren't slaughtered, but that we actually conquer through the sword of the Spirit, converting sinners seeking to implement godly and righteous laws in government and society. Yes, we pray for that, but even when God doesn't bless us with that, but blesses us through the direct persecution of his people, we're still conquerors. See, the devil was crushed through the cross. What he thought was undoing the work of God and the uh, and the work of Christ by crushing Christ. He was really crushing himself. Christ was crushing him through himself being crushed by the devil. And so now the world and the terrorists can do nothing but kill themselves when, yes, they literally blow themselves up, but also when they persecute us. They think they're winning. <laughs> they're making the same mistake the devil made when he thought he was winning when he was crushing Christ on the cross. No. We're winning. Through it all, we are more than conquerors. Verse 38, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The sweet communion we have with our Lord and Savior through the Spirit, they can't take that. Oh, they may distract it distract us from it. They may make us think that our hope, momentarily at least, is, is in our earthly security, but no spirit won't let us think that for long. We have God in us. In us, people. And we are in Him. And we are reigning now with Him. And victory for us takes on not just one form, not just many forms, but every form as we are righteous. It's victorious. If we go out and live a godly life before the world and proclaim the gospel to them as we can and give a reason for the hope that lies within us, if they reject it, it's still victory because they rejected Christ. And yet he was victorious through that. If they accept it, if Christ conquers their hearts and rises alone their hearts, then obviously that's victory as well. But there is no loss for us. Death has been swallowed up in victory because Christ has overcome the grave. Christ has paid for our sins. So nothing, not our own sin, not the sins of those who would seek to harm us both in our nation in our churches and in this godless pagan terrorist world none of that can separate us from our hope from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ nor can it separate us from our loved ones in Christ and I thank God that my parents are both believers that my wife as a believer, I'm thankful for the promises that God makes to my children. Yeah, I fear for my life, for my family's life, for my parents and my wife's life, and for my children. But that fear is just a short-term temporal fear because I know the one who holds the world and the one who holds my heart and who has given me life and my family life and that is eternal life that is life that can never be taken from us and that is life that will culminate in perfect peace and prosperity and delight as we behold the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever and we will glorify him forever by worshiping him and adoring him and praising him and working and exercising dominion with him and, and, and ultimately my pity is on those who don't have Christ don't have this life And I say that as I speak, 
on this podcast to you. But of course, I came to this podcast at two in the morning here because I've been shaken up and worried and concerned and stressed about a bunch of things, both in my personal life and what's going on that we're all seeing and stuff that I know about in, you know, denominations and churches that I thought would be much better. And I'm like, you know, what do I have? What can I be sure of? Well, I can be sure of God and Christ and my salvation and the love of my family and true believers despite the turmoil that's an ultimate hope that's a, whole, that's a hope that cannot be taken away and that's the whole point of that passage that I just read in Romans 8 and what an amazing comfort that is and so in these dark and dangerous times let us go forward in boldness not going forward with some kind of sick, perverse, twisted glee as if that's the way we're going to get through this. That's not putting our hope in Christ. Christ doesn't tell us not to take serious wickedness and to not be, you know, saddened and heartbroken and, yes, in some sense, even afraid of it. Let's not just post Facebook posts where it's like, oh, you know, finally... This silly American nation is going to meet its demise for abandoning God forever ago, and I can't wait to watch it burn. You're not going to watch it burn. We're going to burn with it if it's going to burn because we're in it. So let's not be stupid and act like that sort of tough guy mentality is going to somehow give us hope. That's hopeless. And we shouldn't wish for that. We should wish for God to be gracious and merciful and pray for that and plead for that and seek to be more righteous and more faithful to Him. And we should look to get our theological ducks in a row and go back to the word and pray and, and you know work through racial issues and I think we're coming up with a lot of bad answers on that and, and anytime you start you know supporting well whatever reverse racism I'll call it and and the white guilt mentality well that's not the way to handle it and I see a lot of that in, in places where I'm shocked to find it at least was shocked if I've come to realize that's how it is now. Yeah, we've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. But we've got to do it. We've got to do it. And we can do it with confidence. We can do it plowing in hope. We can do it knowing that even if we do all this, and even if no one listens to this podcast, that God hears, God knows, and God is glorified. And when we are righteous, when we are faithful, when no one else sees and no one else cares, God knows and God cares. And really, what else and who else matters? He's the one giving out the rewards in heaven in the end. He's the one who's our heavenly father. He's the only one that we really have to please and are called to please. You know, if everybody else doesn't care, if nobody else hears it, if God hears and he does, well that will resound and echo in eternity forever even if it doesn't right now and who cares if it doesn't right now only what's done for Christ will last and if it doesn't get praised or acclaimed now and if we don't ever become famous Christians and Christians who make lots of money and Christians who have a huge big impact if we're just faithful and righteous and if we just strive to live faithfully and proclaim the truth and love even if it's rejected now it will be 
still known and praised forever in glory. So I hope that's encouraging. I hope that if you're a stay-at-home mom who's struggling and dealing with young children like my wife is, or if you're like me trying to grind through seminary and look for ways to pay the bills and to, you know, be a loving and faithful husband and father and trying to sort through you know where you fit and what you understand the Bible to say doctrinally and politically and you know in a whole host of other ways and you feel like on one hand you got a lot of knowledge on the other hand you have no knowledge and you're just a, a wise fool <laughs> well keep fighting the good fight and know that the Spirit is in you, sanctifying you, sanctifying me, and that in the end, we're not going to usher in the kingdom of God. We're not going to bring in the new heavens and new earth. The kingdom of God's here. New heavens and new earth will be brought when Christ returns. Right now, we seek to make manifest more and more the glory of God, to press the crown rights of Jesus. But how much success we have this side of heaven, that's up to God. Our job is to do. God takes care of the rest. And our doing and faithful laboring glorifies God, echoes in eternity forever. So nothing is meaningless. In fact, everything has been redeemed because we are redeemed in Christ. All of us, every part of us, body, soul, thought, word, deed. It's redeemed. It's being redeemed. So yeah, shudder at your sins, but repent and confess to them and think of all the good thoughts and the good deeds that you've done as well. Praise God that he's allowed you to do them. And God is pleased with them. As God is pleased when one righteous person comes to repentance and the angels in heaven rejoice, so they are pleased when we do one small, good, righteous act. And when we weep over our sins, the angels weep with us, and when we rejoice over God's kindness and rejoice as we labor in his field, in his kingdom, God rejoices with us as he works through us, as we are the body of Christ, and it is through his church, his people, that he puts all of his enemies under his footstool. Wow, we are part of that. God takes notice of all of it. No matter what kind of job you have, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a plumber, whether you work at home or work in an office, whether you're in a third world country or a first world country, God takes into account all of it and all of it. If we're doing it for his glory, bring some glory and will not be forgotten. God hears, God knows. God cares. And God is our sure hope by the power of His Spirit. Nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Well, I hope this is encouraging. I hope that propels you going forward in the days to come. I think globally, the next five years, probably the next two or three years you're going to see a lot of upheaval and I hope the next two to three years after that there's going to be kind of a calming and a resettling 
and the restabilizing and it may be overall worse than it is now but but through that we've got to be faithful we've got to do what we can we pray God to handle it how he wills and we got to do it ultimately with a confidence that cannot be shaken because of Christ and what he's done for us so that's my admonition that's my comfort that's my hope and preach it to me too because I'll forget it by tomorrow <laughs> and I need to remember and trust in the mercy of God and the sovereignty of God and that all things do work together for his good for his glory for his people's good and yes for their glory as well which is yet to be revealed I'm praying for this nation I'm praying for the world and I'm praying for my family and I'm praying for whoever may be listening and I ask that you would pray as well for me and that we would go forward faithfully and boldly speaking the truth in love, living righteously, thinking deeply, loving richly, filling the earth and subduing it, and turning to God for our strength and our comfort. Because that is our only comfort. That is our only hope in life and death. And what a great and glorious hope that is. Well, I'm going to actually pray because I think that's the most fitting way to, to end this. Dear God, I thank you for your, your love and your mercy. That if you had not chosen to save me, I never would have chosen to come to you. And it's such a humbling thing that to dwell on it too much is just a thing that, that causes me to become undone. That you have redeemed me and my family and blessed me so richly. And how quickly we grumble like Israel for our former bondage and for the good old days of 1990s America. <laughs> no, every day with you, Lord, is a good day. Every day with you is a wonderful day. And because we're being sanctified, Lord, every day with you is a better day than the last one. And that's just going to go on and on and on until every day is the best day in heaven. Help us as fathers and husbands to love our wives and children. Help wives and mothers to love their husbands and children. Help pastors love their flocks. Help flocks to love their pastors. Help elders to love and shepherd, help deacons to serve and minister, help churches to love other churches, denominations and presbyteries to love one another and to speak truth and to stand for truth and to exercise church discipline and to cast out the rotten fruit when necessary and to not compromise in the church or in the world. Help us to be a militant 
church in the right sense of the word, but to also be a longing and hopeful church, a church that seeks your return and seeks your glory and rests. Yes, we war, but we also rest on the Sabbath day and every day in your finished work and the work of your Son, which still works through us, but also guarantees that it is finished. It is accomplished. There is no doubt of the victory that we have in you and that righteousness will reign supreme on the face of the earth and all the kings of the earth will bow down to the true King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for your Son, for your love, for your mercy, and that you would count us worthy to suffer in some small, faint resemblance to the way that your Son suffered for us and that our suffering counts because your son's suffering has counted and still counts. Thank you for the indestructibility of the bond and blood that you have made with us that we should be called children of God and joint heirs with Christ and help us to call others your elect who have not yet been brought to faith as we proclaim the gospel to all help us to call them into this hope man people need Jesus they need hope in these dark dark times and we as your people need to be reminded of your hope. I need to be reminded of your hope, and I thank you that your spirit recalled to me your word, your truth, your voice to us. Romans 8, and so much else in Scripture that comforts us. I'm glad you speak to us, Father, in your word, that it's clear, that it's plain, that it's not open to interpretations or gut feelings, but it's in black and white, it's in ink and it's in our hearts. Help me not to swerve from this, and I pray that you'd help the church and your people not to swerve from the hope that we have in you and your word and the gospel. Help us to labor faithfully in your kingdom, and I ask all this in your name. And in your son's name, through whom we have the hope and the victory and all things. Amen.